Our text comes from 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. But these as natural boot, try that again. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. This is a reference to the false prophets and the false teachers that Peter has been exposing in this epistle. He says, These as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and they shall receive the reward of of unrighteousness as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are, and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart that exercised with covetous practices Cursed children. We titled our study today, When Men Act Like Animals and the Wages That They Reap of Unrighteousness. It wasn't an attempt on the part, on my part, to express the opinion of some wives for their husbands, but rather of identifying the false teachers and the false prophets that are already prevalent in Peter's day and certainly have multiplied from that apostolic era to the present time. There's a time, he says, when men act like animals. Although the infidel evolutionists attempt to link man to the mammals that are found throughout the earth, God has uniquely and distinctly made man a different creation than all the other creatures that he created. I had an opportunity to one time to talk to the educators, many of the educators and some of the political uh, folks the, uh, from uh, around the world uh, at a conference that I have mentioned before. It was was called the first annual global peace leadership conference. And in my address to them, I had the opportunity to tell them that as educators, they were going to have to change their position on evolution and embrace creationism if they expected to change man in his thinking, and to keep man from acting like animals. They had made the statement in enlisting me to come to speak that they were in hopes of being able through education to bring about peace upon the earth. Well, of course, the Lord said, I didn't come to bring peace upon the earth. Rather, I came to bring division But the problem that I cited was as long as we teach that we are 
an evolved animal, then there is no urgency, no motivation for us to be different than the animal world. But if we understand that when God created man, He created man in His own image, breathed into His nostrils the breath of life, and He became a living being, given a special direction and function by the Creator, when we understand that, then there may be some room for changing the circumstances of war relative to peace. I'm not sure how many embraced that idea at that conference. I had been getting some amens. It was a little quiet when I made that statement. We had to change our position from evolution to creation. God made man distinctly different than all of the other animals and all of the other creatures that he had created. Yet frequently, too frequently, man fails to manifest that distinction and acts like an animal. Let's look at the text in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 12 that we closed with last week. Um, that, that we introduced last week. It says, But these as natural brute beasts, notice, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and they shall utterly perish in their corruption. The verse begins with the word but, that conjunction of contrast. He's going to make a comparison as he introduced to us in verse 11 last time that angels continuously as a matter of principle being greater in their comparative strength and inherent power to man continue themselves not to bring contemptuous judgmental speech against those that are opposed to God, the ones that have been granted authority before the Lord. Angels would not go into that area, and yet these as brute, natural beasts violate the very basic principles of creation and its distinction. Verse 12 then said, but these as natural beasts. These refers to these men that are self-appointed prophets that are false teachers. And he describes or compares them to beasts of the earth. The word natural as natural brute beasts, that word natural is the word from which we get our English word physical. Sika identifies that which is physical. It literally means that which has been produced in nature. And so this is really the distinction between the creation of man and the creation of angels. The creation of animals. 
the creation of the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea. There are animal rights activists that for the most part are evolutionists and they don't see this distinction between uh, the creation of man and all the other creatures that God had created. We recognize that the Word of God teaches there is a clear distinction between animals and man in the origin and in the purpose during creation. At the same time, we reject that distinctiveness that God has created us with and act too often like animals. So Peter is here going to show us what he means by acting like animals. We'll use the comparison like the one found in Jude of the 10th verse where Jude uses the same illustration comparing false teachers to animals. As a matter of fact, as you read Peter's writings, uh, you can recognize that he must have had in hand that short one-chapter epistle of Jude, who was, by the way, one of the half-brothers of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the son of Joseph and Mary, uh, along with James that wrote the epistle of James. Uh, they were uh, the... the uh, children of Joseph and Mary after the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, none of those brothers were believers until after the resurrection. I guess it was a little hard for them to associate with the idea of their older brother saying, I am God, and I live here in the flesh. I tried to pass that off with my siblings. It didn't fly very well. But... Uh, we recognize the the epistle that Jude wrote, just one short chapter, but it is pithy and full of doctrine. And Peter seems to be referencing that. Of course, he's got the same source uh, for that observation that Jude has with his relationship with the Lord. Jude makes this comparison of men acting like animals and, of course, of the angelic situation that we looked at in the two weeks previous to this. Peter says they are brute beasts. They act like brute beasts. That literally means animals having no ability to reason. As a matter of fact, he emphasizes that with the word aloga which means without any ability to reason. Unlike animals, men have been given the ability to reason. Animals can be trained to respond to a stimulus, but they are incapable of reasoning. So false teachers are those who have rejected reason and they operate from that stimulus response basis that animals do. Animals were given life for an entirely different purpose than mankind. As a matter of fact, uh, you'll notice that Peter addresses that 
when he speaks of the animals that they were made to be taken and destroyed is the way the English text reads. To be taken. Actually, the Greek says, for the purpose of being captured. Animals were created for the purpose of being captured and destroyed. The word destroyed is translated from the Greek word phutheron. Uh, it's not a the common word that we normally see translated destruction uh, with its various forms. Uh, this word uh, is identifying that which is corrupted or which experiences corruption. So the root meaning means to change or alter the state or the purpose or the condition. Animals are given life for this purpose, for the purpose of being captured and then used either for service to man or for food to man. Man, of course, was not given life for the purpose of being destroyed or being corrupted, but these false teachers have adopted the role like animals with seemingly no ability to reason. They act like animals that were created for alteration, and these false teachers have altered their purpose as God's design has revealed. So they act like animals that have been created for the purpose of being destroyed for the result of service or food. And these brute beasts, these false prophets, these false teachers are said then to speak evil of the things they do not understand. The word for evil is actually that word that we were introduced to a few weeks ago, and it has been in this text uh, uh, for a number of uh, verses where it identifies our English word blasphemy. We've identified that word blasphemy to mean to make it a principle to speak evil, to speak contemptuously of something or someone. We bring that word uh, into the English language then with our word blaspheme, and it generally is a reference to speaking evil uh, and speaking uh, down upon. Uh, there's a combination of context that will better define it for us. But these false teachers, these false prophets, make it a principle to speak evil of the things that they understand not. That phrase, that they understand not, is the word for knowledge, and it has the letter alpha, the first letter in the Greek alphabet, prefixed to the word for knowledge, uh, when you put the letter alpha in front of a word uh, in Koine Greek, it gives it the opposite meaning of the word. 
So they simply have taken the word for knowledge and put the letter alpha in front of it and that means they then have no knowledge of the things of which they speak. One of the marks of a false teacher or a false prophet is their quickness to talk about the things which they have no understanding about at all. Just listen to those that are involved in teaching false doctrine and you will see tremendous distortion of the truth of God in a way that shows they have no reasoning to it. They're acting like animals with not reasoning and using what God has given man to reason with. We are told then, and they shall utterly perish. Interesting arrangement in the original language here. It means literally they shall be destroyed by means of their own alteration. Once again, I point out that this is not the normal word for destruction, but it emphasizes that which is destroyed because of alteration. The false teachers will be uh, are, are going to be altered by their own alteration of God's truth and God's design. They shall be destroyed by means of their own alteration in their own corruption, the text says. Literally in the sphere of their own alteration which results in their being in a worse state than they were to begin. Because they alter the design that God has given, their design will be altered from life to death, from heaven to hell. And notice, they bring about this failure by reason, by, by refusing to reason, and... Uh, they are altered then as they attempt to alter God's design. They are altered themselves. Look then at verse 13 and 14. And they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they count it pleasure to riot in the day. Spots they are and blemishes sporting themselves with their own decisions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart that exercise, that they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children. Back in our study of verse 12 last time, we then we developed that expanded translation. Uh, we would translate verse 12 this way, but these men, like physical animals, having no ability to reason, having as a matter of principle been given birth for the purpose of being captured and being brought into an altered condition, they make it a principle to speak evil in the sphere of those things where they have no knowledge, they shall indeed be corrupted by their own alteration in the sphere of their own alterations that result in a state 
a being that is worse. We indicated then that there was a need for us to be reminded that these are going to be judged. In other words, as we have said before, they have a payday coming. The first phrase that we find in verse 13, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness, introduces our exegesis of these two verses. And yet it's not adequately translated. So look at it with me for a moment. It reads in our English text, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. The Greek text, literally translated says suffering wrong as wages for wrong. Suffering wrong is translated from Adiku Manoi as a matter of principle. They continually participate in their being defrauded as wages of their work of unrighteousness. So that text should say, as a matter of principle, they continually participate in their being defrauded as wages for their work of unrighteousness. The word righteousness, diakos here, has that letter alpha, the letter A, inserted in front of it to give it the opposite meaning. The word righteous means that which conforms to the specifications of the plan. That which conforms to the specifications of the blueprint. When you affix the offer to the beginning of the word, then it says they do not conform to the specifications of the plan of God, of the blueprint that God has established. And then Peter continues saying, as a matter of principle, they continually participate in considering it in the sphere of the day an ultimate luxury. As a matter of principle, they continually participate in considering it the ultimate luxury in the sphere of a day. And then Peter says they are spots. That word spot appears at first observance to be borrowed from the epistle of Jude. Jude talks about them uh, unbelievers and apostate believers, false teachers and prophets being spots. But when you look at that word in the book of Jude, it's a different word that we have here. The translators translated it both words as spots. The word here, spoloi, means moral blots. Moral blots. The word in Jude means a rock that is just beneath the surface of the water that is a danger to ships. It can't be seen from above. It's down below the water. But Peter uses a different word, 
although the translators translated it as such, the word Peter uses simply identifies a moral blot. These false prophets, these false teachers are moral blots. And then he says, and blemishes, and blemishes. The word blemish is momoi, and it means moral disgrace. You may recall in our study of uh, the Levitical offerings in the Old Testament, remember there were five uh, offerings that were to be added, uh, observed, and practiced every day. And then there were additional sacrifices uh, that were to be observed for specific sin. And then there were specific sacrifices and offerings that were to be presented on their feast days. Whenever a lamb was involved or an animal was to be offered, it was to be without spot and it was to be without blemish. Those were terms that the Old Testament uh, saints understood Uh, They were terms that identified no moral blemish, no moral uh, spot of that nature referred to having a birth defect or some kind of injury. A lamb that was offered must not have a birth defect and it must not have been injured. They represented, of course, the virgin birth of Christ His sinless life, no birth defect in that He was born of a virgin and bypassed the imputed sinful nature of Adam. And then there was no physical sin in His life, no sin that caused a blemish. So Peter uses those two terms to identify their disqualification with the plan of God in delivering a message of their own rather than the message of God. They are moral spots. They are moral blots. They are moral disgraces. With that description of their being, he talks about their attitude then in saying, sporting themselves. The Greek word here means making it a matter of principle to openly take pleasure with their own deceitful delights. They are amused and take pleasure in the false doctrine and the teachings that they establish. And he said they do that while they feast with you while they are having fellowship with other believers, while making it a principle to be continually participating in feasting along with you as one of you, having then eyes that are looking for an uh, an adulteress, eyes that look for full adultery, literally, Eyes that are looking for adulteresses. The language indicates that 
there could be a reference here to spiritual adultery, which is used as an analogy throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, in which we are unfaithful to God and embrace uh, uh, the things of the world. Uh, it could also refer to literal adulteresses. And there seems to be a hand-in-hand combination here with many of the false prophets and the false teachers that we have encountered uh, uh, in our own lifetime. We have recognized there is frequently that sexual immorality that is associated uh, with it. When you look at the cults of the world and you look at the perversions of Christianity, you find a parallel so oftentimes then with immorality. And uh, these teachers are said to always have an eye out for an adulteress. Then Peter continued by saying, they cannot cease from sin. Unceasing from sin. He describes them then as beguiling unstable souls, making it a principle to constantly lure through the use of bait unstable souls. Their ministry, their outreach, their program is one that is looking for those that are not stable in the Word and will embrace that which they are teaching. The fact that they are be, they are looking for those uh, that are unstable identifies the lack of doctrine. The only thing that is going to produce any kind of stability in our lives is the Word of God. The only way we're going to recognize false doctrine from the truth is the knowledge of the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 33 verse 6 says, Wisdom and knowledge are the stability of thy times. So we can be protected from false teaching with our knowledge of the Word of God. With wisdom and knowledge. The word wisdom identifies the concept of understanding how to apply the Word to your circumstance and knowledge apply uh, references then the Word itself. So we not only need to know the Word of God, we need to know how it relates to our life. We need to know how we can apply that on a day-by-day basis. Notice he calls them unstable souls. The mention of the word soul rather than spirit. The distinction between the soul and the spirit of man is found in the Word of God. You'll not find it in psychiatry or psychology, but you find it in the Word of God. The abilities of the soul relate to man communicating with humanity and dealing with the issues of humanity. The Spirit is the ability of man relating to the things of the Spirit and being able to relate to God. Here, Peter identifies these by their soulish behavior 
rather than their spiritual behavior. We're reminded once again that the Scripture emphasizes then the contrast between the soul of man and the spirit of man and identifies that the Word of God must be spiritually discerned. Paul said the natural man, that's the word suke, the word soulish, man cannot understand the things of God. They are spiritually discerned. We must have a human spirit to understand the things of God, for God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. When we operate in the flesh, though we have a human spirit that we receive at salvation, if we operate in the flesh, then it is the operation from our soul, and there's all sorts of distortion in our understanding and in our application of the things that we find in the Word of God. And so it's important for us to operate in the sphere of the Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit having control of our lives. Those false teachers are looking for folks that are unstable souls. Their focus is upon the soul rather than the Spirit. Peter adds, they have an heart they have exercised with covetous practices. Literally, he says, having a heart. Remember the word heart in the Bible refers to the right frontal lobe. It refers to that knowledge that we have, that we have accepted as a norm or standard for ourselves, and we have embraced that. That forms our frame of reference that forms our conscience. That forms our basis of, of operation and, and determines the things that we do. Having a heart that as a matter of principle has been completely trained from an intense desire to have more. Those that are taken in by false doctrine are those who have trained their thinking to look upon those things that will satisfy their desire more and more. They have, as a matter of principle, been completely trained in the past that they continue to be trained and to react in the present with those things. He defines them then with covetous practices. They operate from a sphere of an intense desire to have more. They are insatiable. They cannot seem to get enough of the things of the flesh and the false prophets and teachers thrive upon that. Their focus, as you listen to false prophets and false teachers, their focus is upon the material, upon the physical, upon those things that satisfy for a moment but are contrary to the basic principles that God has established. And he so he concludes his assessment of them by saying, cursed children. They are children born in the sphere of curse. The word children, there's a number of different words that are translated in your English Bible 
by the word children. This is the word techna. This refers to the birth of a child. To a child by birth. The emphasis of techna is upon the birth process. So, always placing an emphasis upon the birth. In our natural birth, we are cursed with the result of the sin of Adam. With our spiritual birth, we are given eternal life by means of that new birth, which is a birth from above, a birth of the Spirit. We are not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. But those that have embraced false doctrine and have not received the simple plan of God's grace salvation have a curse upon them. So the text should read this way. But these men, speaking of the false prophets and teachers, like physical animals, having no ability to reason, having as a matter of principle been given birth for the purpose of being captured and being brought into an altered condition, they make it a principle to speak evil in the sphere of those things of which they have no knowledge. They shall indeed be corrupted by their own alterations in the sphere of their own corruption that result in a worse state of being. As a matter of principle, they continually participate in their being defrauded as the wages for their work of unrighteousness. As a matter of principle, they continually participate in considering it an ultimate luxury in the sphere of a day. Moral blots, moral disgraces, making it a matter of principle to openly take pleasure in the sphere of their own deceitful delights while making it a principle to continually participate in feasting along with you as one of you. Continually making it a principle to keep on having eyes focused on looking for an adulteress and unceasing from sin. Making it a principle to constantly lure through the use of debate, uh, bait unstable souls. Having a heart that is a matter of principle has been completely trained in the past with the result it remains trained from the sphere of an intense desire to have more. Children born in the sphere of curse. So let us note that God has a unique plan, a different plan for the purpose of man apart from that of animals. Animals were given life to be captured and altered by man for man's use. Man was created in the image of God, but he can act like an animal, ignoring the distinctions of the ability to reason, not embracing reason. False teachers and those that align themselves then with those false teachers function like animals without an ability to reason. In the same way that false teachers have altered their design and the truths of God, they will themselves have an altered existence. 
The wages that fraud pays is the currency of unrighteousness. False teachers considered a luxury to ply their trade in public view. And so in our text, they are described uh, as moral blots among believers, moral disgraces. Those who openly take pleasure in the sphere of their own delights, those who fellowship with believers acting like believers. Those are always looking for those willing to commit adultery. Those who continually lure others through the use of bait. They're described as those who prey upon unstable souls. They have hearts that have been trained in the gymnasium of their own desire to have more. There are children born under a curse. They need a new birth. And we should learn these characteristics so that we are able then to identify the false prophet from and the false teacher from those that bear the truth. We can develop a resistance to false teaching through knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge, gathering the facts of the Word of God. Wisdom, understanding how they relate to your life. Wisdom and knowledge are the stability of our times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is His treasure. But it all begins at salvation. The Bible teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible teaches with the heart man believes under righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We will know true doctrine because we have studied the Word of God and we will recognize false doctrine because it will be contrary to what the Word teaches. Let us pray. Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. We seek understanding not only of what it says, but Lord, we need to understand how it relates to us. Give us that spiritual application in our daily walk as we go throughout the week. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.